Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daly. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travelled to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast would not happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, to become one of our members, and get an extra big interview every month, plus loads of bonus content. So, go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Graham Hunter, and we'll bring you joy. Following as it does after the first part, this would be what we like to call the second part of the big interview with Rio Ferdinand. And you're so special that you deserve as much Rio in your life as is humanly possible. So if you haven't listened to part one, unless you're on the run from the FBI and Interpol, there's no bloody excuse. But now you've got another chance. I think you should. If you did listen to part one, you'll already be aware that Rio's our 100th guest on this podcast, The Big Interview, and you've all helped us reach that milestone. Listeners, yes, socios more than anybody. So thank you very much, on a scale of two, and one to people who aren't socios. Thanks to Rio, who has his own channel on YouTube, Rio Ferdinand Presents 5. Go there, and you'll find interviews like Rio did with some of the very best footballers on the planet, including one with James Rodriguez that I joined in order to translate... This is how we parlayed for Rio to sit down for this, one of the best interviews I've enjoyed for a very long time. And in part two, we're going to Moscow and to Rome and to Wembley. There'll be big mentions for Darren Fletcher, for some of the great players that he came across, the stress he felt in Russia's capital. These were Rio's three Champions League finals. Get ready for some inside stuff, some explosive stuff on how those games were won and lost. An interesting insight into his relationship with the greatest manager the football world has ever known, Sir Alex Ferguson. I'm willing to bet you'll enjoy being with Rio Ferdinand. We're in your head. Let's let's enjoy the final. Moscow. Uh, Abramovich is the owner of Chelsea. 
you must have gone in there thinking, hmm, Moscow, Abramovich, how's it going to be? I think he pinches the best to tell. It's flipping Chelsea, Rio. You know, I, maybe you didn't care about the prospect of Lamps and Ashley Cole and whoever, John Terry winning the cup and lording it over you a couple of days later with England. I'm sure you didn't go into this with fear. I'm sure it felt brilliant that it was a domestic rival. But to go to the Champions League final in Moscow against a club owned by a billionaire Russian and against people who rub it in your face forevermore if you don't win it must have brought an extra sense of pressure. Yeah, there, there, the pressure was amped up, amplified even more because, as you say, Chelsea, it will never go away if they beat us. It will always forever be remembered and it will be rubbed in your face not necessarily by the players, but they'll always have that feather in the cap against you and they'll always, you go anywhere. I'm a London boy, always going to come back to London and live. Chelsea fans obviously all over the gaff around here. So it was, it brought an element of fear. Yeah, it did. I was scared to lose that game. I was really, really scared to lose that game. I was probably pleased for Frank, really, when because I'd grown up with Frank as a kid. When they won it in Bayern Munich, I was like... I, I, I remember the feeling that I, I had on the day before the Champions League final in Moscow and feel the feeling, I imagine the feeling he must have had and it must have been with him for so many years after. When he sees me, it brings up them old emotions of being, being beat in that game. And so when they won it, it was like redemption almost for him. So, But it was, it, it was just a crazy night, man. And it's just everything that you, you don't want on the night to happen. This a really late game, goes into the middle, into the AM it's raining, you want it to be picturesque, you want it to be just perfect weather for you, it just wasn't and we should have won the game in the first half, we had enough chances to win the game. I didn't see it going the way it did, um, I don't, again I, I thought we were the better team going into the game, I just, I just thought we were, we were going to win, I just thought that we had too much that we, 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 could, we could defend against them. Which we, we were we were going to get more chances. I thought we were better at creating chances than them, and that we had the, we had the killers up front to kill, to finish the game off. It hadn't been long. I know you weren't thinking of this in the moment. It hadn't been long since Frank's mama died. When he scores, he points to the sky. It's a tremendously emotional thing for him because already you're you're one nil up. But I, I remember seeing you. You were furious, and it was a Frank's finish is great, but it's a fluke goal because the the, the shot just bounces everywhere and falls for Lamps, and you're in the right place. It's it's not. I forget who it comes off. Maybe Vida, but it, it doesn't. And and you're left too far away because you've been doing your job, which I think is Drogba. And Frank is just he carried his run. He's in the right place, and you pick the ball up, and you, you punch it back to the centre circle in absolute fury. Partly one one, but but partly because it's just before half time, which is when. United do the score, and big teams score. They don't receive just before half time. You you were furious in that moment. It was a bad time to concede and we'd missed chances and I thought we should have punished them and I was thinking that that's typical, like, now they're back in it. It was going to be a good half-time team talk and one potentially where we could have, should have been 2-3 up and now we're going in now and it's going to be backs against the walls a little bit. Second half, they're going to come out, they're the team with the momentum now and it's going to, we've got to roll our sleeves up properly now. And so... It's gone from a, a game what I'm enjoying to a game that, OK, now it's, it, we're making it harder for ourselves. And that's always a frustrating thing for a player when you're, you know that you're, you're doing the right things and then all of a sudden one lapse in concentration or something, you just make the game gone from an easy, OK game to a game where actually this is going to be a difficult, long, hard graph now to get over the line and win it. Did he drug So 
we know he's going to get sent off, but as a rival, what questions is he asking of you during that final? He just demands your attention all the time because he remonstrates with the, man, with the referees. He's emotionally involved in the game. He's, he's shouting and screaming for every decision. He's a physical test. Um, he, he backs into you. He, he, he can, he can, he can, if, he, if you allow him, he'll dominate you physically. And it's crazy because a lot of the games I played against Didier, he didn't actually play particularly well. Like the Champions League final, he didn't play well. We kind of, he, didn't, he didn't bother us really at all. But in big games, the guy scores goals. That's just a fact. He'd done it in the FA Cup final against us. He scored one at Old Trafford against us when they won the league, which was offside still to this day. But the guy just has like a... He demands your attention. So when a player can do that, it allows someone else somewhere. There's going to be a bit more space for someone else, like Maluda or someone like that, to go and get a bit of space. So, Or Joe Cole or whoever it was, or Frank, more often than not. So... He was just whether he's not playing well or, or, or he is, he's just a nuisance. And he was always he was a tough competitor. Um, and in the end, the game, as I said, to you, he was an emotional character who played emotionally on the edge. It, it kind of he got it caught up with him in the end, and he got sent off. But retrospectively, given what you'll go through in Roman Wembley, I wonder if you've got more understanding for what he's told you because he's told you that when it comes to extra time, he goes to. The, the coach and he says Avram Avram they're tired they're stretching they've got cramp let's go 4-4-2 let's not stick 4-3-3 Avram Grant tells him where to go and at least Didier's point to you is that he was so pissed off at not being listened to that he loses his rag and has a little slap at Vidic now you know what it's like to be in a Champions League final thinking this ain't right we ain't got this right do you have any not sympathy for what he did because he helped cost his team I've been in a position myself I remember I don't know if I've told you before like Bayern Munich away <clears throat> we were 1-0 up so Alex Ferguson always said you take a 1-0 all day away from home in the Champions League knockout football you take it away goal etc but again it goes back to that maverick in him that risk element he, he makes a substitution I think he brought on Berber um, Berbatov he takes off two midfielders he takes off two midfielders with, with about 20 minutes to go yeah and I, and I was I, on the pitch I'm screaming going whoa what are you doing what I was like obviously questioning his authority um, in, in, in my own way and I was going crazy we ended up getting beat 2-1 um, and I come in down the chain the tunnel screaming my head off shouting going like and I remember Mark Van Bommel looking at me like he's seen a ghost thinking this guy's crazy and I get in a change room and I spang open the door and stuff going, and then the manager just unloads on me going crazy. You ever question my authority in front of the, a stadium again or your teammates? Who do you think you are? Blah, blah. And I'm just going back at him arguing. And I remember Gary Neville just holding me on his arm and just saying, Rio, just, just leave it. And I was like, no, this isn't that. He's told us we get a 1-0 victory away from him. We take it. And he's done exactly the opposite. You go in and apologise to him the next day because Gary tells you, watch out. And, and Fergie says... I was going to sell you. Yeah, I went and apologised the next morning. I went and he went off again and went crazy and was he wasn't happy with what, how I'd gone about things. And with retrospect, I sit there and say that I should have waited until a quiet morning the next day and spoke to him. But emotion, you're getting caught up in the game and it means so much to us all. And I think that's one of the reasons why someone else he may have sold them. But I think genuinely the manager knew that I, would, I was questioning his authority from a good place. It wasn't from an egotistical point of view or trying to make myself look better. I was no. always about the team first and winning. That was all it was. So, 
and it wasn't anything about myself. So, and I think he, a couple of times in my career that had happened, and again, I probably got given life at Man United because he understood me that I wasn't about me, it was about the team first. It's not a trophy you can lift, but you win the argument because Ribery scores for 1-1 with 15 minutes left. Olic scores in the last minute. Olic scores in the last minute and you're 3-0 up in the second leg and they score twice and, and you go out. So you win the argument. But I want to go back to, to Moscow because the penalties, um, I find it hard to believe that you were worried about taking the eighth penalty until Anelka misses because you just scored. I, I don't see the argument. That's bread and bread and butter to you all the training that we do and we've done in the week leading up to that game taking penalties does not prepare you for that moment when it comes to taking a penalty and you just sit there and I'm standing there my legs were shaking from the first penalty to the to the point when Edwin saved it my legs were just knocking if someone had a camera on my knees I could actually you could you could test whose legs were shaking the most mine would have been at the top 100% and I remember Patrice ever just said straight away when we got to the when we there was asking he said no I don't want one don't want to take a penalty. Is that good or bad, Rio? Is that because I know players who are old-fashioned and go, ah, that's not stepping up to the breach. But in Europe, several players I know would say that's that's percentage. If if you're fearful enough to think you won't score, then ultimately, if, if you've got if ten people have got to take penalties, ultimately you've got to take it. But if you don't want to be in that first five, is it probably better to say it? Or yeah, I think it's probably better to say it, but at the same time, you've, you've, you're there to. That's part of your job. Your part of it is taking a penalty when the time's right. You've got to do it. So, but yeah, for the, definitely for the first five, if you feel that you haven't got the confidence, you just got to say no. And I think Pat done well to do that. But I was listen. I would have gone up and took it, but it was just like I was next man. I was thinking, whoa, like this is going to be like. Please, I don't want this. If I miss, what is going to happen? All the thoughts start going through your head. Okay then, okay then. But if you're sitting there holding yourself up, standing there holding yourself up, Michael Carrot, and you've got legs like jelly beans, where did the sprint come from when when Edwin dives the right way? Because you're off like Linford Christie, man. Yeah, I, I would have won the hundred meter race. Usain Bolt, <laughs> anyone there, I'd have won it. It was just like I couldn't believe it, man. Everything that you dreamed of as a kid, like I'd won the Premier League a couple of times by then, and it was just more about like. This was the one that, that I just, I got to a semi-final. We'd been gone out against teams we shouldn't have gone out and it was just becoming frustrating. Can we win this? Great teams, we can be great in our own country. I want to be great in Europe. I want to be able to walk anywhere in the world and people go, you won the Champions League because that's the power of the Champions League. Everyone watches it. It was just like that moment. You, if, I always say this, if you could bottle that emotion and put it on the shelves in the, in the store, you would be the best seller anywhere you go in the world. There's another emotion, and, and this is up to you, but like you, you've, you've written it once before, your mum. Mm. I, I don't think you're much of a crier, but you and Vinich are having a little spat about will we cry, won't we cry, He's don't, don't cry, man, you're like, which is understandable because your emotions are everywhere. It's pissing the rain. Fergie's got a, you know. Now, according to you, all you can hear from a distance is your mum shouting to you and clambering over people to get to you. Describe the picture. That must be magical. That's something that is, must be almost as good as lifting the flipping cup. Yeah, definitely. I, I probably remember that bit more than I do lifting it. Actually, it's weird because, like, I know that it meant so much to my mum. She was so proud. And, and she couldn't contain herself ever. If we were, if me or any of my brothers or sisters had done something what she felt was good, she would scream from the rooftops and let people know, that's my son, that's my son, that is my son there, look. And I just remember hearing her at the bottom of the... We were waiting for Chelsea to come back down the steps after receiving the, the runners-up medals. And 
I'm at the bottom of the steps and all I can hear is my mum just screaming this voice like, Rio! And it took me back to when I was a kid because that's what she used to call me to come in for dinner. And I just saw her and she was like, like waving like, wow. And it was just like, it's like all of the hard work, the sacrifice that my mum and dad had put in over the years to get to this point. Now I'm the captain and going to lift this trophy. Like, whoa, it just all came at once, flooded. And I remember the man you're saying, we are not here. Don't do it here, man. It was funny. So it was, um, it was nice. It was a lovely moment. Look, I'm happy with that. And we've dealt with the next season already beautifully. So I'm going to take it to Arsenal. Um, it's the semi-final. Um, your desire is retain the trophy. You haven't quite managed it because of the Bayern Munich episode the following season. But it's like win, win, win. Get back there. Dominate again. Who won it that year against, against Bayern Munich? Who won it that year? a very easy win for Jose Mourinho's Inter and Bayern go to the final and really it's it oh, it's the easiest tip in the world because Bayern I'm sorry to say it aren't that good but by the following season that remorseless uh, every day on it which separates you this is not I don't want to open a scar but I think there is a lack of appreciation for that group or those groups that give you Three Champions League finals in a space of three calendar years compared to 99. 99 is full of heroics and it's an extraordinary treble. It's the only English treble, but they don't repeat it. They, 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 and Ferguson himself, the, the following year, says, I had so many of you are interested in cars and watches, and he, he gets after them when that generation get knocked out by Monaco 1-0 at home in, in the next season. Whereas your group... Are like that. We will. We will be there. We will be there again. And what people forget is how much that costs you day in, day out. Not in April or May when the winning's done. It's about getting your head set from the start and saying we're going back again. And and you do. And 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 Arsenal proves to be a, a double, a double face, because it's an extraordinary all English semi final, and the way in which you dispatch them must have felt great. But there's a there's a red card decision in it which helps rob you of the title in Rome. And there's also, if, if I understand it correctly, whether it's Alex Ferguson, whether it's Mullenstein, whether it's the scouts, they come away with a perception from the Arsenal semi-final that won't match with Rome. First of all, explain the tactics and the idea of knocking Arsenal out. So Alex Ferguson always, from the moment I joined Man United and we played Arsenal, when, so when I first went there, they had the Vieiras, the Bergkamps, the Keown, they had a strong spine in that team and they were physically a very good team. But he always even said then, match them physically and you'll, play, and, you'll, and you'll be able to play them as well. And so even, I remember the game we won, I think it was 3-2 or 4-2 at Highbury when John O'Shea scores a little chip um, where we physically got after them. I think the one when Ronaldo scores at the back post with Giggs as well physical hard games where we had to roll our sleeves up and just fight um, and then quality overcomes everything and then it was the same going into this Champions League final against them it was absolutely dominate them getting in their face because if you let them play they can play and they, they can pass teams off the pitch they were great at doing that they're very good footballers Fabregas dictating the pace of the game etc people who could play but once you physically get in their face and, and get aggressive and nasty against them, they, they don't react well. Because this there have been a couple of tunnel incidents, the one that's famous with the, the noise between Roy Keane and Vieira, but there's also, there also the Cesc throwing the pizza at Alex Ferguson, which people don't know. That became the headline. What wasn't the headline 
was that there were proper fists thrown, there were people ploughing through bodies to get at each other. Alex trying to calm things down until the pizza where he's trying to get into their dressing room. I mean, apart from dominating them physically in the matches, there was that, that tunnel incident was real needle, proper old-fashioned needle that I miss a lot. I miss that in, in the modern game, I have to say. But so it was personal, eh? Yeah, it was. And, and like, I remember walking down the tunnel late with Sol Campbell and then all of a sudden I saw the commotion and you just run into the fight and you just, you get to your side and there's security involved and there was animosity between the clubs, definitely. The managers were prickly with each other, the players the same uh, once we got into the games. And yeah, so when we went into that game, it was just about physically dominating. And I keep going back to the point that that Carlos Queiroz's old traits were still running through the veins of the football club in terms of tactically, there were certain points, the transition was the key. Because the transitions down in London were astonishing, eh? Exactly. They were, they, that, 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 got them, that, that performance really probably typified what our best traits were as a team. Compact, aggressive, tactically very sound and absolutely deadly on the counter-attack. Um, and we had people that were selfless runners. So someone like Jason Park, the way he ran off the ball, if I was a coach now, I would give every young wide player a Jason Park video because the way he runs off the ball is so selfless, it's unbelievable. He, The way he could create space for other people or take defenders away was just like textbook. And so, yeah, that, that's what we were, we were about. And, and that, that game just, just really just showed us for what we really were around that time and what our best strengths were. Our best strengths were the transition. Solid, compact and able to hurt teams on the break. And, and it, I know you're going to get to this point, but we went into the final and really went against what had really got us to be the team that people were fearing at the time. My perspective before we reached the final is that it was patently wrong that the tackle Fletch puts in where he robs Sesk of the ball in the penalty area. Oh, it was a disgrace. There you go. It, it needs to be said. When he went off, and he, I think I said to him, he, he, I think he said to me, um, I missed the final. And I went, oh, no. And I knew then how important he is to our team. He was a machine. He was, like, physically ridiculous. He wasn't the most fancied player probably by opposition fans and whatever, or people didn't see, but... He was someone that people didn't see the work that he'd done. He, that he covered positions. Again, somebody, if you said to him left, right, he was very receptive for inf- information and worked off it beautifully. Super intelligent footballer. Um, and with the ball, so efficient. Very rarely give it away. And knew his role, knew his, knew his limits as a player and played his role perfectly. And he suited our team in terms of he was probably the person who set the tone in getting against people when they got to a certain point at the pitch and we were going to press around the middle of the pitch he was the first one bang bang we're getting against people and he didn't he didn't care for people's reputations which was a great trait to have so I'm going to propose to you because a lot of people listening to this will have forgotten that Owen Hargis is still at the club but he's injured he's recovering from a knee up so I'm going to propose to you you go to Rome and you've got Hargis and Fletcher either starting or you can alternate them probably given Carlos Queiroz is away. They might not have started both, but you've got the option of starting both. You and I probably would have started both if Owen's fit and Fletch is not suspended. And uh, Hypothetical, fine, fine, fine. But when we're about to talk about Rome, one, I think that the deduction is that there's 
I think Sir Alex Ferguson, because of being at Hampden Park in 1960, watching Real Madrid 7-3, having been, I, 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 I'm an Aberdeen supporter. I saw him win two trophies for us. De Stefano is the coach of Real Madrid when we beat him in the Cupners Cup final. The romance, the need for him, ego-wise, and ego's a good thing, to be considered one of the European greats, meant that he, he treated European football differently. And in my humble opinion, he went to Rome saying, we'll, we'll play them. We'll play them, we'll toe-to-toe them, we'll play front foot, we'll win and we'll make a show of winning. Whereas if he's got Fletch and Hargreaves, then I think you can understand that point of view. But his information, I don't know what you think, but I think there was a general perception that Thierry Henry won't play. It was true that Rafa Marquez was out, that Dani Alves was out, that Eric Abidal was out. That was, they played together, they played 26 Champions League games that season, they were all missing. Savino was at left-back, Puyol at right-back, Yaya Toure had played one game at centre-half before that. And I think there was a perception, not amongst you maybe, but amongst the, those who gathered the forward information about Barcelona, they're shot, they're shot, we'll win this. And, and the gung-ho attitude, I think, doesn't help you win. Yeah, I think that, that all of them elements you just mentioned there, I think probably played into the way that Sir Alex set our team up. The fact that he didn't have Fletcher and Owen Hargreaves to choose from, who had that defensive nous and discipline. So he had players in there that, that, that weren't as, as kind of good, for a better word, to say that in that area of discipline and defensive nous of how to work across the pitch and to cover areas. So why make them defend? Why don't we just go and attack and, and do what they're best at? Um, which then left us open. Um, but yeah, I, th- I, I think one of our biggest mistakes as well was playing Rooney on the left and Cristiano down the middle because I look back at the training games that PK had against, uh, against Rooney. Rooney used to absolutely bully PK in training. And I would think in my own mind that would be mental scars you line up and Rooney's playing against him in a game, it would be very difficult for PK to erase those scars so quickly. Um, I think that was one big mistake. And I think Rooney was more suited to playing against someone like PK and Cristiano was more suited to playing against someone like Puyol. Um, and I think we probably got that wrong. Um, but I do believe you're right in that the, the manager was he played into playing the way he did because of the way that things panned out, their injuries, our suspensions and injuries as well but I, I I did question the manager on his tactics at this point he asked me if I was happy with it and I said not really boss but I'll play the way you want us to play um, and that was it and I, I, we were just too open and I think as I said to you our, our best way of playing our best when people look at our era I think the, the game against away against Arsenal in the Champions League semi-final would be a great in terms of transition, would be a great way to look at the goal against Bolton at Old Trafford when Cristiano Ronaldo sets up Rooney. It's all about transition and from deep areas, from from low blocks or from a set piece even, but deep areas of the pitch where we're compact and we are solid, but we can have a spike edge where we can hurt teams on the on the break from any distance from goal. We can do that, and we really went against that what made us great at the time in the biggest game of the season where we're playing a high press game which isn't our natural instinct to do we're not well versed on it against a team who's playing at their best way of playing which is passing the ball out from the back so I just felt that we were just at a losing edge from the beginning really in that sense
I'm here to tell you about another podcast. Yes, we believe in biodiversity. It's from the makers of The Big Interview, and it's called Between the Lines, the stories behind great sports writing. Every episode takes a classic sports book or outstanding piece of sports writing and examines how the writer crafted their story. This is a weekly show, and the series so far has featured documentaries on the miracle of Castel di Sangro and Andrea Perlo's autobiography, I Think, Therefore I Play. There's also interviews with writers like Henry Winter, Simon Cooper, Andy Mitten, and David Goldblatt. Here's Raf Honigstein with his brilliant piece focusing on Erling Haaland signing for Borussia Dortmund instead of fill-in-the-blank, but we know it's Manchester United. A transfer story is essentially a happy story. Three parties got what they wanted. Everyone thought that they had done great work and had got a great deal out of it. Dortmund were proud of their achievement of getting this guy. Haaland, I think, was really, really happy with having made this decision. I think the agent obviously wanted to show that why this was the right decision and why others were wrong to sort of dismiss the reasons why they went, etc. So as, as much as it is detective work, it's not solving a murder case. You are dealing with something that is actually quite positive and that people are to an extent quite happy to talk about. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Analytically, I think it backs you up the way they score their goals because although you look at Messi scoring a header and that's the snapshot and you look at Eto'o in at the front post and Edwin can't cover it, you know, the transition comes from a loose header from Michael. It's picked up, it's moved really quickly forward to Xavi, Iniesta, Eto. Not transitions at the speed you're talking about that United were, but for Barcelona, there wasn't a lot of elaboration there. I think the ball's lost between Cristiano Ronaldo and I'm not sure who for the second goal, maybe Evra, and, and the ball comes up and, and Xavi's got a, an unpressed cross, whereby I'm not sure what Giggs is doing in the penalty area. Um, Vida is very far forward. He's not next to you. The ball comes in front of you. You've got a shea behind you. It, it, 
you're not as compact, you're not as organised as you would normally have been. And I think that the goals, actually, they're not typical Barcelona goals. I mean, Messi's the smallest player on the pitch and he scores the header, but the cross is completely unpressed. If you give Xavi a chance to pick out somebody who's six inches shorter than Messi, he'll, st- he'll still pick him out. It was very un-Manchester United. And also, Rio, I've never heard Sir Alex Ferguson in all my life saying, we were beaten after nine minutes. He said after the match, we were beaten after the first goal. The first goal came in nine minutes. That's anti-everything you stand for, United stand for, and Ferguson stood for all his life. It's one of the most bewildering evenings of my of my football life. If we score one of the two or three chances that we have in the first minutes, Sir Alex Ferguson's a genius. Again, he's a genius anyway, but he's, a, he's even more of a genius. And, and I'm sure if we score that early, we go back to... to, to we go back to type. I feel we win the game. This is all hypothetical, but I feel then we get over the line. We win the, win the game. But we just didn't give ourselves the chance. We didn't finish. We wasn't clinical enough. And then we get punished. And then the tactics that we, 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 we had with we, we, the game is over at, at that, that time. I think Charlie Ferguson's right because once they go in front, we then can't get the ball off them. We, can't, we don't have any effect on the game at all. Them two games are the most embarrassing they just take they just they took the soul out of us really the way that they played saying that the best club side ever without a shadow of a doubt they were phenomenal and and they just absolutely and it goes back to my point I said earlier about Barcelona we played in 2008 in a semi-final had some great individuals this team had even better individuals and an even better better standpoint from a tactical perspective so it made it even, even harder. Why is it? How can it be then that after qualifying for 2011 at Wembley, thrashing Schalke in the semi-final, that the coaching team, and I mean by that the people that bring forward information to Sir Alex, the style of football that Pep Guardiola has established is, is still more clear. You must have watched a lot, um, irrespective of not having played them in, in 2010, Slightly similar mistakes are made in that Wembley final. Now, I've been part of an effort to to glorify the way Barcelona played because, for my opinion, Neil was my publisher who said, write a book about it. Eventually that becomes a film. People other than Manchester United fans, although on the night I had Manchester United fans text me talking about Barcelona and saying, that's extraordinary. And I think around the world of football, your, your point about maybe that's the most intelligent midfield three ever. Maybe there are better midfields, but if you talk about Busquets, Javi and Esther, and Messi dropping back into it. Pedro, who's completely unheralded, you talked about Park and his intelligence or t- using him as a masterclass. In what- Pedro's a masterclass for anybody what to do that day in that system. I mean, an unheralded. Outside Catalonia, not talked about the intelligence. Everybody knows he's quick and he can score. But given what you already knew, it's like a golfer playing a par five, playing a shot that last Sunday you played, you got it wrong, you know you have to change, change your club, change where you're trying to don't aim at the flag, put it deep. And, and yet, there's a real similarity about, I feel Sir Alex going out that day and saying, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll pay them back, we'll teach them a lesson, rather than how should we play them? Yeah, and again, tactically, I didn't agree before the game as well. Like, it was weird. I just, I remember sitting with Nemanja Vidic and just think we were talking about it. And like, if we press them, they'll pick us off. They'll outnumber us in midfield. Messi drops in. And it played out that way because me and Vida really didn't have to lay a glove on Messi the whole game because he went and played in midfield for most of the game. 
he played away from us. And when he went away from us, the two wingers played really high and pinned our full-backs back. And we're running in behind me and me in between the full-back and the centre-back to keep me and Vida back as well. So to go into midfield would make it difficult. Um, and, and the way we set up tactically made us do stuff that was very much alien to all of us. We were being asked to do things in the game that, was never, that never gets asked of us for the whole season beforehand. So that's why, that's why I, tactically I was always like, I don't, because Barcelona at their best are doing and being asked to do things during this game that they've been asked all season. They're playing the exact way that they've played all season. They've not changed at all. And yes, great teams have to be adaptable, but adaptable doing plan A and plan B that you've worked on for a consistent amount of period of time. Not where you just, oh, this game, we're going to change this game for the Champions League final and then all of a sudden you've got to be great and because you're going to have to be great on this day against a great team, potentially the best team ever, you've got to be great at a new tactic, at new jobs, making split decisions in these new jobs on the money each time because you're playing against the best. It was big ass, man. It was just a big ass. And I, I just think I'd love to have seen in both finals the real Man United play against the real Barcelona teams and see how we get on them. Strategically, what was the answer pre-game at Wembley? 4-5-1, playing three centre-backs and, and using your wing-backs to go on. Could you have played in midfield with Smaller next to Vida? That's breaking up a world-class partnership. But what was the way to, to occupy the spaces that they and the superiority in numbers that they got in the centre of the park? What was the way to do that? We could have played 4-5-1. When we win the ball, as always, it becomes a 4-3-3 because we were that quick with the ball and in our transition. But it allowed us to be compact then. And yeah, we might get pinned back a fair bit, but with the knowledge that we know we've got players on the counter-attack that could hurt them. And that was always our, my belief in our team, that we, the way we played, that nine times out of ten we'd go out and play teams and we'd pass them off the park in the Premier League, in the Champions League, etc., and then we'd play against some of the big teams who were great possession-wise and we'd sacrifice possession sometimes and they'd have more percentage of the ball but we were more clinical and we were more productive in terms of chances created and, 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 and then converting those chances. So to give ourselves the best chance play the way we know best, that's the way that I fought and it was just the way that we played just it allowed for so many more gaps, um, big spaces um, and again... It, throughout the game it leaves you just questioning yourself throughout the game like how, how am I going to get near to Sanso how we whereas if we played the way we knew there aren't them questions then I know where I'm meant to be I know where he's meant to be he knows where he's meant to be and then we're just all playing to the system that we know and we actually got us to this point of being a feared team but we were undone we were absolutely annihilated on the night and I remember standing on the pitch after with Giggsy and Scolzi and you're watching them get their trophy and just saying to each other, that's the most embarrassed I've ever been on a football pitch. It's actually embarrassing. It's just an embarrassment. And you're thinking, how many millions of people have watched that? And yes, they're a great team. And by the way, the worst summer I ever had, that was, probably. But we won the league. Crazy, huh? Is it the pain? Or is it in your head? Or it's the frustration about, I know we could have done this differently? Both. I think it's the, it's the embarrassment of being beat. Yes, everyone goes, yeah, but he was the best team in the world, but that's no, that's no, that doesn't do anything for me. In your heart of hearts, I just feel it could have, we could have done it differently to give ourselves a better chance. I'm not saying we would have won, 
but it'll give ourselves a better chance. It's what you've based your life on. It's compete, 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 compete. It, 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 the way we set up just didn't allow, I didn't feel it allowed us to compete really. By the first probably 10, 15 minutes of the first game in Rome, we just didn't compete with them at all. They were just head and shoulders above us. It's, I don't know, it's weird. It's just, we just didn't give the best account of ourselves in them games at all. We couldn't. The, the, he's gone to the other side. We're closing now, Rio. But Pep, I know, always expected Manchester United to approach him when Sir Alex went. Pep was keen to, to coach Manchester United. Um, as now, a, I suppose, a converted fan, do you find it a little bit frustrating that United didn't go, I tell you who we're having. I tell you, as soon as he's leaving Bayern Munich, as soon as he's leaving Barcelona, does that frustrate you a little bit? Because apart from what he's got on to show in England, he's got everything that United needed. Yeah, yeah. He's the only person that I feel we should have gone for, Pep. He's the, like, at the time, you can talk about Klopp now and everything, but he, that's later, that was later and stuff. But at the time, when Sir Alex Ferguson left, there was only one person who we should have been going for or we should have been preparing to have. Um, at some point and that's him and it was just for whatever reason it didn't happen and it, unfortunately he's gone to our biggest rivals next door and, and, and gone and done what he's done he's just been formidable in what he's done up until this season we talk about someone who's a maverick he's a genius he's a maverick he's a, he's a, he's a, he pushes the envelope with his tactics he never settles and rests on his laurels of what he's doing he's always looking for another extra percentage or an ex- extra element that he can bring to the game that's different but also remains a success just the instance of playing the two fullbacks in the pitch never been done really by anyone in recent history at all and just bring something new to the game that, that, that people didn't see before from the Barcelona team playing ridiculous possession football with a with a with a, a knife edge to it or to, again, tactically just shaping a team up that you think, wow, that's very different to what I've ever seen. But that Barca team, when you look at it, you've got probably Busquets, Xavi, Iniesta, Messi, four of probably, if you was doing a Ballon d'Or that year, four of the five top five players in that Ballon d'Or list, it would have been, if you was asking every player, it would have been that. And then you've got Pedro on there, you've got David Villa, Jermaine, who are great goal scorers, Dani Alves, Best right back in the world. Do you know what I mean? So they, 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 we didn't lose to, to no mugs. They were a, a great team. And that you look at that midfield, it's the best midfield you, you're going to get for cohesiveness, for understanding, tactical nous, for quality, for, 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 for brains, for intelligence, for execution, for, for hitting the right note on big moments at the right times of games masterclass in terms of controlling the tempo of games and the, the way that they can interchange position-wise is, is with everything, everything you'd want in the midfield. Two of them tiny, one of them built like a pipe cleaner, doesn't know where the gym is, all about technique, brains, cohesiveness, passing, the ball, all about the ball, which is why you'd have fitted there. We're closing with two. And, and before we close... 2008, just now think 2008, you lifted that trophy, you won it, you're a Champions League winner, never mind Barcelona. In fact, I'll go so far as to say bollocks to Barcelona. Okay, so we have um, socios, uh, people who, who listen all the time, who've joined us, that are members, they support us. And Robert Ryan said, did Rio have any interest in going abroad? Well, we know you did, but at what stage was there a pivotal, yeah, this, this time it could be Real Madrid, or it could be Barcelona, or it could be Juventus? Never. 
I never, I, I never let it. My, my agent at the time, numerous times came to me and said, Rio, Barca, I could get the deal done to Barca or to, to, to Real Madrid or other clubs in Europe. And it was just a flat, I'm not even interested. Don't even bring that to me. I don't want to go. I've worked my way so hard to get to this club where I'm, I'm winning, competing every year to win the biggest trophies. Why am I going to leave? And, then, and to be fair, the times that I was, they were talking about going to Real Madrid or to Barca, the teams are in transition as well. So I was like, I'm going to go there and I, may, I might not win. No, no, no. I'm a, I'm, this is what I've lived to do. I'm winning here. I'm happy. Our loss over here. Our loss. It, it would have been glorious. It would have been glorious. The, the last one is we've got, we've got sponsors. Bet365. Let, let's leave Alex Ferguson and Bayern Munich out of this one. They've asked a good question. What is your most memorable encounter? They say good or bad with Sir Alex Ferguson. But let's change, let's finish on the positive. What is your most memorable positive encounter with Alex Ferguson throughout your entire friendship? You've called him a genius. What's the one that you go, yeah, that's the man? I think Sir Alex Ferguson is the best manager I ever had by a country mile and best human being in that sense. He was just a person, he's a people person, understood different characters, dealt with everybody very differently wasn't like a one-size-fits-all type of manager in his man- management style, treat everyone in di- differently, definitely. But it was his personal touch that was that set him apart from everybody. Like Cristiano Ronaldo, his father passed away. He let him, all of a sudden, Cristiano disappeared for a week or so. Where's Cristiano? He's allowed him to go back to, his, to his, where he's from to spend time with his family. Came back, scored loads of goals, etc., just got the right response of people just from being very personable and like my granddad God rest his soul he's he would wear my old youth team England uh, suit was 10 sizes too big for him but he'd just wear it proud as most granddads are he'd come into the players lounge at Old Trafford the manager would know his drink that he drinks get him a brandy or whatever my mum's in hospital she's very ill all of I go into the into the hospital there's a, a big bouquet of flowers. And I say, well, who's that from? She goes, oh, so Alex Ferguson sent it. Like, he knows your mum's name, your dad's name, your granddad's name. Like, he's, all those little touches there go towards me going out on the pitch and giving him everything. And then afterwards being thankful for everything that he's allowed us to achieve. he give us the platform. So, bar all tactics, getting it right, getting it wrong, being a genius, being the best... I think as a as a a man, the way he makes you feel by treating your extended family and network of people really is a, a genius element that probably don't get discussed as much as it maybe should. At Rio, it's with deep, deep gratitude and appreciation that I say thank you for joining us. These, these experiences lift our lives and the people that listen. Also, everybody who listens, you must go to Rio's um, YouTube channel. Um, there are a fantastic series of interviews with world-class soccer players who love being in your company because you're one of them. So we, when we put this out, we'll, we'll advertise your YouTube channel. Thank you. We'll enjoy you in BT Sport as the Champions League comes back in, in August. Just thank you for your generosity and thank you for sharing what's been an outstanding career. Thank you, Rio. Thank you very much. Cheers, man. Love, love, love your work. Love listening to your stuff as well. So good luck. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. 
It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true, Graham Hunter, and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here end of the lesson. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be fine. (laughs) Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, (laughs) you, you were different. Like you were real different. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com (laughs) 